suppose what drives me is, is helping people to understand why animals matter, not just in terms of animals themselves, but in terms of us and the indivisibility of that line between human and animal. It's just life. It's just us. It's just all around us. And if we were able to start to see those connections, you know, there's some depth there, isn't there? There's so much to that. There's so much that we could understand through that. Hi, my name is Emily Chadbourne and welcome to Behind the Change, a podcast to inspire hope. Because let's be honest, sometimes it feels like the whole world has gone to shit. But here at Behind the Change, we speak to amazing humans who are doing really great things to make this world a better place. We find out what drives their leadership, what beliefs hold them firm in turbulent times and what it really takes to grow their businesses and organizations to create even more impact. If you'd like to support our guests and little old me, then please share the episodes that you love. Rate and review because it really does help more people find us. And you can head to the show notes to join Behind the Scenes, a membership where you get bonus podcast episodes from me, exclusive access to a mini cast from every single guest and heaps of other bonus content too. It's only $7 a month and it goes a really long way to supporting this podcast and the guests that we are honoured enough to speak to. Thanks for listening. Welcome to another episode of Behind the Change. Today I am talking to Anna Ludwig, who is the founder of Lucy's Project, which is a national peak body that advocates for people with animals who are experiencing domestic and family violence. And I'll be really honest, I hadn't given much thought to animal welfare and domestic in the context of domestic or family violence before. And I have been blown away by this conversation with Anna, and it has really opened my eyes to the areas where we could do so much better, not just for our animals, but for the survivors of domestic violence too. Anna founded the organization in 2013 in honor of her daughter Lucy, who died at birth. And I will issue a trigger warning because Anna and I do speak about Anna's experience of labor with Lucy. This organization is largely volunteer run and it's a unique community of many diverse sectors who work to support people who are experiencing domestic and family violence. Now, if you want to get behind Lucy's project, and I know you're going to want to get behind Lucy's project once you've listened to this interview, then head to the link in the show notes, donate what you can to their GoFundMe page, and enjoy the wealth of resources that are available for you at their website. Anna, thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure to be talking to you. Let's start at the very beginning. And why don't you tell me a little bit about Lucy's project, where it came from, how it started, and how you got to where you are now. Oh, thank you so much for having me today. It's such a such a privilege to be able to, to share this story with you and, and, and with your podcast listeners. Thank you so much. Um, it's always hard to find the best kickoff point for talking about where Lucy's project started. So I was working in uh, for, for many years with Animal Law and Education Project at the Northern Rivers Community Legal Centre. And there was this bunch of really amazing, inspirational women who had um, had this initiative to really raise and, and, and highlight um, the link between domestic violence and animal abuse. And it was one of those causes that you sort of think, oh, what have they got to do with each other? Um, they just seem like such random things. But then the second you actually think about it, I always call it like a real aha cause. You go, oh, of course, 
you know, that pets are part of the family. And, and so many of us look at animals as being part of our family. And so when domestic violence tears a family apart, it's going to affect the animal as well. And I learned some really disturbing things with that project about how, animal, how animals might be um, abused as a, a way of controlling uh, a, a victim of a human victim of domestic violence. And I found that really alarming. And the more I learned about it, the more I thought, wow, this is something that somebody should, should do something about. And what I really particularly liked about the idea that these other women <laughs> were working on was that it really helped people understand you know, because I'm, I'm a lifelong animal activist and advocate for animals. And, and I have been ever since I was a very, very young child. It, it really highlighted to people that we don't have to choose between caring about animals and caring about humans. It really helped people to understand that human-animal bond of, of, of how when we do care about animals, we do care about people. And, and, and you know, I'm skipping ahead very briefly just for a moment. The more that I've learned through this journey, the more I realise that we actually can't provide for humans unless we're providing for animals, that they're, they're actually indivisible uh, and that we know that wherever there is animal abuse, there is a human at risk. And so animals can actually play a very strong protective role for humans and particularly for children as well. And, and that's, you know, something that, that I've, I've come to understand fully. But anyway, I did skip ahead there. So that was there very much in the back of my mind because my work was primarily working with large animals, which were my first passion with cows and, and, and horses and, and trying to better um, welfare outcomes for agricultural animals and, and the rural and regional and remote sectors. And so there I was plugging away and I became pregnant with my first child and I was incredibly excited to, to welcome her. Um, my relationship broke down very early in the pregnancy, which was very daunting. I spent a lot of that pregnancy very feeling very vulnerable um, and very nervous about becoming a single parent and, and negotiating my way through that. Um, and then I came to, um, to, to my first child's birth and, um, and she passed away very early in the labour and I had to go through the labour and I knew that she would, she would be born sleeping, as we say, or stillborn. And my body was holding on to her and not letting me, not letting me give birth. And then I had this, you know, I won't go into too much detail because I do realise it can be quite upsetting for people, especially with, with so many women that have had a similar experience of losing a child but I had this moment of realizing that I couldn't give up because I couldn't let all of that fear and all of that worry and all of that love that tremendous amount of love that you have especially for your first child that you know, was so desperately wanted and I was an older I was an older mother I'd, I'd waited so long for this child and 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 to lose her for nothing was just something that I couldn't I just couldn't let her go in vain and so just, you know, I, I, there I was just, just in this incredibly long period of, of labour and, and this light bulb hit me. This, you know, there, there was all these women around me that were supporting me and, and they, found, they found a room for me through the Zonta organisation that I could be alone to labour in where I didn't have to be in a maternity ward with other women that were having these, you know, living children and I didn't have to have everyone in my face. I could grieve as I birthed. I could experience everything, but in, in, in isolation and just with my, my closest people with me and I, I felt the strength and the power of the women who'd been through this before me and had suffered reaching forward in time to hold me. I felt these women around me holding me strong and... I realised that, you know, I, I had this tremendous love for this child 
and I had dedicated my life to animals. And it was just like this obvious, oh my goodness, this is my calling kind of moment in her beautiful name. Cause you know, I had named her already, you know, in Lucy's name, I'm going to do a project and it's going to be the biggest thing I've ever done. And it's going to shine light on some darkness and it's going to make it beautiful. And in her name, there will be peace. And in her name, there will be love. And in her name, there will be social change and somebody will live because she died. And shortly after I, I gave birth to her and, and she and she came into being and she came into the world at the same moment as Lucy's project was born. And so I suppose, you know, look, I went through all the, the, the natural grief that you would expect and it was very dark. But at the same time, there was a light. And Lucy means light. Um, and there was a light. Uh, there was a way that I could honour her and that tremendous love without it, it feeling like it was in vain. And, and in a sense... For me, especially in the early years of the project, in its nine-year-old project now, I felt like that's how I raised my daughter. And I felt like that was how, you know, I spent a lot of time on this, you know, I had a lot, a lot of time on this project. And I felt like that was, this was, this was my child. This was how I raised my daughter. And sometimes we do the most tremendous, amazing things and have these incredible moments of, of creating change and of, and of seeing permanent change come into the world. And every time something like that would happen, I'd say, I'd feel so deeply, I'm so proud of you, Lucy. Look what you've done. It was never personal. It was never about me. It never, it's never felt like my achievement. It's felt like I'm so proud of my daughter. And when I look out in a room, you know, especially at the conferences, I look out a, a room full of people who are passionate and engaged and, and learning and, and going out and creating change themselves. I just think, oh, Lucy, you're amazing. You know, look what you've done. Because I know that without her, I wouldn't have done this and I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have that motivation every day to get up and, and do better. Mm. And I know that I probably would have quit. And so I know that it's her and it's not me. You know, and as the years have gone on, it's become about more than her because as we get older we change and we welcome people into our world and we engage with community we come we become more than ourselves and so it, it does feel a lot more like a, a community and a team now but in those early years it was very much how I, I raised my daughter so what we do at least this project is is we call it the three a's there's awareness action and advocacy so awareness raising is the kind of thing that I'm doing right now which is just talking about the issues and helping people to understand the link between animal abuse and domestic and family violence, understanding that animals are part of the family and that for many people, having an animal is the greatest comfort that they can have during really dark times. And I'd really like people to be thinking particularly about children and about how a family is completely shattered in domestic violence, but yet there might be an animal that's able to stay with those children that's going to just keep licking their faces and jumping up and giving them muddy paws and somebody to chase around and to dress up and to bring joy into the darkest time that that child is experiencing and how, how incredibly valuable just that is to be able to allow a family to keep together so that a, a child can continue to experience joy in their childhood. You know, domestic and family violence is something that really tears a family apart. And to bring a family back together, it's a very administratively heavy thing to do. The, the, the parent who, who might have, you know, the care of the child has also got to work out new schooling and clothes and housing and safety considerations and security. And there's a whole bunch of, you know, sometimes their own health and their own injury to attend to. They're very, very busy. 
but to be able to attend to the need of the child by by having the animal with them and for the and also for that parent to to go to bed at night and have a warm body to be there to feel like security and comfort is incredibly valuable so even just in that we need to understand how important it can be to keep the animal with the family there's another quite insidious and, and nasty side to this and it's often the animal is abused as a proxy as a way of demonstrating to the to the victim uh, to, we call them victim survivors, but in this case, I'm talking about the, the time of the, the incident to the victim. If you don't do what I say, I'll do to you what I did to the dog, for example, or to the horse or to the chicken. Or um, I mean, A lot of animals are killed um, in that way as a way of demonstrating just how far the perpetrator will go. And we know through research and quite extensive research overseas and not enough research in Australia, but we know through research that um, perpetrators that threaten or harm animals are some of the most dangerous perpetrators and those that are most likely to go on and, and commit homicide or commit a lethal offence. Um, and we know that where, where people abuse animals, there tends to be other criminality and there's, there's a lot of correlation between where animal abuse happens and, and other criminality. So animal abuse is an incredibly serious red flag of the most at-risk families. And as long as we are ignoring the risk to animals, uh, we're ignoring our most at-risk humans. And we've all been rocked by some of the horrific homicides that have occurred over the last few years. It's very rare to look at one of those homicides and not actually see a trail of, of animal abuse as, as well. There's not enough research in Australia. That's a bold claim based on US, uh, US and UK statistics, but... I'd really love to see more research done on that in Australia. So what we're trying to do is, is raise awareness of just how serious this can be and why we need to take it seriously and why we need to protect um, animals in, from domestic violence, but also what is needed to protect animals and to keep families together because it can be quite can be quite a lot. It's, 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 it, there's, a, there's a lot of detail to that. So we do a lot of awareness raising amongst all kinds of different levels of, of um community frontline services and police and um, domestic and family violence refugees as well as the general community and the general public and so the other action, the other arm is our action so we actually do consultancy and we go in and we we help communities to create referral pathways and we help organizations that are looking at becoming pet friendly uh, we help to um, forge alliances and strategic pathways between organizations that they can work collaboratively um, it's not enough just to say dump them at the shelter because then the shelter's got a human problem to deal with and it's not enough to, to, to give them to a to human service because then they've got an animal problem that they're not prepared to deal with. So it's about helping to resource everybody that, that's going to be working collaboratively in that, in that process. And the other one is, of course, um, advocacy, which is speaking up to, for, for animals in, for, for change and lawmaking and policy um, developments and and we do a lot of we do a lot of speaking up when when it's appropriate so those are the three a's and a little bit of an overview of of what it is that that we do and and the different levels that we work with so predominantly we are a peak organization so we bring together the many organizations that are working in this field but then we also have a public facing arm that raises awareness of, of the issues what an amazing story. I'll be really honest, before I was introduced to you, I'd never, ever given consideration to animals in a domestic violence or a family violence situation. It had never, I'd never even had the thought, but where does the dog go? Or where does the cat go? When a woman and her children run to a refuge, what happens to the pet that gets left behind? I had never even considered it. And also just so interesting to, to hear the correlation between abuse of animal and abuse of human. Just really important work. 
that you are doing in your gorgeous daughter's name. So thank you. When you first started, obviously it sounds to me like you were really galvanised by keeping Lucy's sort of spirit alive. And I actually love the way that you have kind of talked about birthing Lucy's project as you birthed Lucy and how that helped you grieve and it helped give you hope and it gave you meaning and it gave you a reason, I'm assuming, to to, to raise your child through this organisation. It's just such a lovely way of describing it. When all of that was happening in those sort of, I guess, in the infancy of Lucy's project, what were sort of some of the really the biggest challenges like where do you even start do you know what I mean like I guess like like new mothers would have that same feeling as well as like right okay so I've I've, I've birthed this thing what do I do with it oh golly you're exactly you've totally hit the nail on the head um so I came out of hospital uh and um immediately got to work and I, I mentioned that there'd been these amazing women working on the project and they've been knocked back for funding after funding after funding. And so I, I called them together and we went to a cafe and I sat them down and go, right, what are we going to do? Where do we start? And they said, we don't know, Anna. And I said, okay, so where are all the organisations? And they said, this is it. This is all of us. There was this little tiny table with like, you know, the four of us sitting around it going, this is it. This is, this is you know, so there's this big passion, there's this big inspiration and there's this little tiny table. And I went, oh, oh. Uh oh. <laughs> oh right. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. And so and I didn't know anything about the cause. Like I hadn't come into it from a background of knowing a lot about about these issues. Like I said, I was large animals. And uh and so, okay, all right. So the first thing I did, the very first thing I did is I put a call out. I created a Facebook page and I um and I created a website and I put a call out and said, Is there anybody else working in this space? And it was so funny in the first few years, people just came crawling out of the woodwork. You know, it was like, it's, oh my goodness, you're here, you're doing, I think, goodness, you're doing this. We need this so badly. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited that someone wants to bring us together. Because the, the message that I heard over and over was we thought we were the only ones. We, was, we thought we were the only ones that recognised the link. We thought we were the only ones that understood. We thought we were the only ones that cared. And I heard that from so many people. So the response was just huge. And there's these amazing organisations that were out there working in isolation at the time. And, and, uh, and I just basically brought them all together, you know, virtually via email, talking one 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 as you do, reaching out. And what I heard was that they wanted to get together. So one of the first things that I did was I organised a conference and I invited everybody to fly up to Byron Bay so that we could come together and be together for the very first time ever of having a meeting in Australia. And it was amazing. We had people flying across from Western Australia. We had people flying across from South Australia. Every, basically every state in the country, there was representatives and there's small organisations, some of the larger organisations, the RSPCA, there was, um, there was police, there was a whole range of different illegal professionals, people that thought that they were alone was suddenly part of something. And as you know, somebody said at the end of that very first conference, this is history being made right now. We've started a movement. You know, we've started, this is exciting. And, and the people that were at that very first conference immediately felt to me like family. And, and most of them are still involved with the cause and they're still people that I feel like when we get together, there's a sense of, you know, a family reunion, there's a sense. It's a very strong internal community of people that came together. 
And one of the most exciting things that happened in those early days too was that people that were thinking about doing things uh, felt that they had the support and the encouragement to go ahead and do things. A lot of projects were actually born out of that very first meeting. A lot of collaborations happened. Uh, a lot of the organisations that were already doing work became bigger and became stronger and had allies and were able to come together and network. And what I really learned in that very first bringing together of those people was the power of networking and the power of collaboration and, and, and just having a space to talk, just having a space to, to bring people together and to have great thoughts. And that's something that really informed the way that we've operated since is that whenever we have a conference, we always make sure there's plenty of time to just be and just to talk and come together. And some of the most powerful things that have happened have been in those, those unstructured spaces and leaving unstructured spaces for people to come together. And some of the projects that have come out, you know, spin-offs from our conferences or spin-offs from those meetings has just been nothing short of or inspiring. And although I'd never get the credit for it nor would I ever ask for it, gosh, it's been nice to sit back and watch it, watch it happen in the background and just know that when we talk, we, we are powerful. When mm. we speak our truth and when we bring truths and understandings, it's powerful and it creates change. And sometimes, you know, that's, that's all you really need to do is create a space. Mm. So, you know, I'm, I'm sort of wandering into a question I know that you're probably going to want to ask me later about, about leadership, but I think that was something that, um, that was really, uh, really came out of those, those early days of where we started from was, was, was learning that. So I suppose as well, for me, I've always been, I call it reactive and responsive to the needs of the movement. So when we bring people together, I ask the movement what they need. And then I very much, for the, at least for the first eight years or sort of seven years, very much just use that as my guide. So what do we need next? And, you know, in the early days that we did a lot of work in um, veterinary forensics and identifying um, non-accidental traumatic injuries in animals and in the veterinary community. And we moved on then to the need for a lot of research and baseline studies. So we did a little bit of that, but we weren't able to attract the funding because the cause just wasn't big enough yet that we were taken seriously. We we're knocked back for every grant and we we're knocked back for every, every research proposal that we put forward. So we still need to do a lot of awareness raising, but we did, we did a bit of that. Um, and we're having a lot more success with that in these, these later years. But I think the main thing in the early days was bringing it together and these different awareness raising projects that, that we needed to do. And then as we've gotten sort of further along and there's more organisations that are aware of the link and more organisations that are, that are thinking about, about animals, uh, we've really been able to move more into the action space of, of listening to very direct needs that the organisations have and being able to meet those directly. And through our AWARE ARC program, which is Animal Aware, Animal Ready in Emergencies in Animal Ready Communities. So Animal Ready Communities is basically our vision and our dream for the for the entire countries that every community is ready to respond you know we've been able to do a lot of through the aware art project a lot of sort of community readiness projects so yeah so that that's where we started that's what we're doing and that's how we listen really i think first and foremost it's about listening i think there's so, there's so much power in what you've just said i've been really blown away when i first had the idea for this podcast i'll be really honest my initial thought was like god no one's going to want to come on and speak to me <laughs> and it's, it's I put my big girl pants on and I just sent those emails and I connected through dm and and the networking part of it has been so phenomenal because people when people have got a cause when people have got a passion when people have got something that feels bigger than them all ego subsides and it's so beautiful it stops being about 
uh, like you said earlier, you know, you're not taking credit for the projects that have come out from the conferences, but you were, you know, you initiated the space for that to happen. But I think it's that, you know, people just want the outcome. People are just so passionate about the cause or the mission that there just seems to be like there's less competition. People just seem to be on the same page. You know, people are really willing to to help each other out. And so I just think it's wonderful that you've been able to bring these organizations to a space because you all care for the outcome. And it's just, honestly, I've spent a lot of time in the corporate world. I've spent a lot of time in the entrepreneurial world. And it's not like that there <laughs> necessarily. No. You know, there no. is more friction. There is more competition. There is more like, well, what are you doing? You know, because this is what I'm doing. There's a bit more privacy. But the more that I have explored and put myself and networked into the space where people are just so purpose-led and mission-led, like just people are willing to talk. They want to help. They want to help you out. They want to connect you with these people. That you know, and it's just, it's such a wonderful way to be because that's how we as human beings, you know, survive is through collaboration. And I and I think somewhere along the way in business and corporate, we've kind of lost that a little bit for a while. So it's so nice to be in this space with, with mission-led and purpose-led people who are just just want, you know, their their cause to be heard and their cause to be supported and yeah it, it, it's just what a what a great place to start which is to say I actually don't know the answers but let's bring together the people that are doing the thing yeah yeah and it's always been really important to me to not be competitive I don't I really really don't want to be competitive I'm not trying to be the best at this I'm trying to do my best and if I find that somebody is doing something that I'm trying to do better than me, I'm very happy to step back and let them do it because at the end of the day, what I'm trying to achieve is social change. I'm not trying to achieve a career goal or a, a betterment of myself. It's not about me. And I've always said if somebody thinks that they can do this better than me, then I'm then you know I, I've essentially achieved my my objective, which is to have these things existing in the world. I'm always looking for that person that's trying to better me because they are who needs to exist you know um, and you can't do everything alone and you're only one person and that competitive that competitive nature is it's great it's just not in me and whenever I do have to step into that sort of corporate way of thinking I'm deeply uncomfortable because it's it's just it's not what it's about for me it's not a power play it's not about you know it's it's just about I suppose you know, very cliche to say be the change but Absolutely, yeah. But, but this is the change be. You but know, is, this, this, change this is what leadership is, isn't it? It's like get out of the way. Get out of the way. Get out <laughs> of the way. And I've seen this time and time. I've done it in the past. Uh, you know, whenever my business is stunted in its growth, it's because I am in the way of it. it yeah. You know. And I, I think that is probably true for a lot of people, whether they're in a purpose-led organization or business or whether they're in the entrepreneurial world or even in the corporate world. You know, I, I think there are a lot of leaders in the corporate world who, because of their own staff, can't quite get out of the way of the people who could probably do it a little bit better or at least that bit of it a little bit better. And isn't great leadership. Great leadership isn't about the doing. Great leadership is about the creating of the space so that other people can bring their genius and make the yeah. thing happen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think sometimes we we lose sight of that. So that leads me into the next question, which we may have already touched on, which is what has been your biggest leadership lesson? 
you know, I, I, I think about this and, and it's so hard to pare that down and say, it's this, you know, like there are so yeah. many things. But I suppose it was a, it was a seed that was sown in my mind uh, many years ago during my degree that, um, you know, Professor Aidan Ricketts, I actually can't remember who's a professor, but Aidan Ricketts put in my head in the, in the public advocacy interest course that I did that was um, you don't have to be an expert to be a leader. You don't have to be the the very best to be the, to be the leader. You just have, you know, it's kind of what we've been talking about. You just have to bring it, you know, you just have to bring it and, and gather it. Um, and you don't have to know everything, but you have to have, you have to have that, the passion and the drive. And something that, that people have said about me the whole way through Lucy's project is they describe me as being tireless. And, and I've always sort of been very confused by that comment because I'm so tired. Like, I'm so <laughs> tired. <laughs> and, and for the longest time, I felt like a fraud. I thought they don't know that I'm tired. They don't know, like, oh, my goodness. Like, and I felt like I've deceived people. You know, I had, like, phenomenal imposter syndrome. Like, oh, my goodness, I have the worst imposter syndrome of anyone I know. Because, you know, partly because I, people didn't know how tired I was. And then I actually confessed it to one of the, you know, to one of the, the founding members, you know, a, a few months back. And I said, when people find out how tired I am, they're going to they're gonna find out, you know, I'm a fraud. And she was like, no, 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 no. We know you're tired. We can see that you're tired. Blind Freddie can see that you're tired, Anna. <laughs> but you've never given up. That's what makes you tireless, that you've just kept trying. You've just kept finding within you another way. And, and we hear your passion and your voice. And that's enough. And it doesn't matter that you're not particularly good at spreadsheets. Okay, or I'm useless at spreadsheets. And it doesn't matter that, you know, I, I, I'm absolutely, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay it on the line. I'm useless at IT. And I often just feel like the weakest link in our projects because I just can't work out, like, really, you know, really, really, you know. It doesn't matter because I've never given up. And I think that's probably my biggest lesson in leadership is, is understanding that my worth may not necessarily be in my output, but my worth is in, as we've talked about, bringing people together and, and about just not giving up, about always finding that deeper passion. And I can't begin to tell you how many times I've wanted to give up because it's exhausting because I don't ever get to leave work because I don't ever get to... I don't get my four weeks paid annual leave. I don't even get paid most of the time. You know, I I just do this every day. And so many times I just want to stop caring so much and to walk away. Um, sometimes I just want to lick my wounds and grieve, but I don't get to. It's very, very deep. But when I get to those absolute bottom outs where I I just don't, I just don't want to go on anymore there's this thing in me and it comes from my guts and it's, it's, it's a visceral, tangible, physical feeling. It comes up and it goes, rah, rah, find it again. And it comes out of you and you pick yourself up and you find a new way and you just, you just find that energy again. And I guess that's what being tireless is. It's, it's not about being tired. It's not about wanting a nap most of the time. It's about just believing, I suppose, in, in what it is that you're trying to share and mm. believing it in the cause and yeah I suppose seeing the power of just that seeing the power that that has to create change and permanent change and to know that if I did give up tomorrow that I have created something that will go on beyond me I think is what keeps me going to know that I can I can stop but I choose every day to keep going yeah. some 
hell. It's been a really tough year this year um, financially to keep the organisation going. There's been a lot of times that I've kind of gone, can I keep doing this? But then I turn around and I go, the work's not done yet. Mm. The work's not done yet. There's still more to do. You can find this. You can you can you can keep going. All you've got to do is just just keep conversations going. Yeah. I suppose, in a nutshell, that's been my biggest leadership challenge or learning. Mm. Um, I've learned a lot about burnout as well. Mm. I've learned a lot about how carefully you have to manage your own ecology, um, and the importance and supremacy of the importance of your own mental health, and just how hard it is to regain your energy if you do burn out how important it is to know when it's time to go and when it's time to go snooze. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, um, and so, yeah, and I I, I suppose I really do, you know, want to counter the passion that I just showed you of what to do when you reach that bottom with an understanding of how important it is to take a break, especially, in you know, with what so many of us um, have been going through the last few years, how important it is to, to pay attention to your own ecology because at the end of the day, you matter and there's no point trying to to help others if you you know don't have that oxygen mask on first yourself I suppose Um, it's such a hard lesson to learn why is it such a hard lesson to learn we we hear it all the time don't we there's Instagrams full of memes about it and that you know it's not like we don't know to look after ourselves first because you know like you say if you're leading the organization and the leader's not there then there's you know no one's sailing the ship right so we know we're important but why is it so hard to do? Yeah, and I suppose that's the other, you know, really big leadership lesson that I have learned when I, I'm going to be talking, you know, talk about the difference between, you know, a, a, a driven leader and, and, and burnout is that, you know, I, I suppose for me I realise that I can't do this alone. And so many, so much of the time if there wasn't somebody that was able to, to help me, I said, well, I'll just do it myself then. And now I've gotten to the point of saying, this is what needs to be done. I will only do it if there is somebody there to do X, Y, and Z. Who's with me? And I will only proceed. I'll only grow if I know that I've got somebody there beside me that's able to to bring their passion, to bring their leadership, to bring their energy. And the more leaders that I've brought alongside with me, the more people that I've raised up with me, the more powerful we've become and the more powerful the changes become. Um, and so I think there's always looking around you to bring up the next and to encourage the next, you know, leaders to come up behind you is a really important thing to be able to do as a leader as well. Not, you know, not just because of the social change, but because of your own ecology and because of your own mental well-being. It's so important to raise others, you know, and to always be looking at, at, at not only who has raised you up, but who you can raise up next um, and, and to be supportive of that community. Mm. And again, that involves not having a huge amount of ego attached. That that means being able to be humble enough to be like, I don't have to be the only leader. I don't have to be the one no. who does it all. You know, it's it's putting that down, isn't it? It's so important. Ego is so limiting. It's you know? so, ego is so limiting. Oh, please put that on a mug. And I will drink <laughs> out of that mug every single day. Ego is so limiting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What is one of your core beliefs that keeps you going through some of those harder times? I have so many. And so many of the times I, I catch myself saying, and that's the heart of what I do. You know, so many times I'm talking about what the heart is of what I'm doing. And I think at the end of the day, I look around at 
some of the horrific things that are happening in the world at the moment. And I think, what can I do? And I was like, well, I can't solve it all. But what I can do is be the kindest person I can be and be the best person that I can be. And I can bring life and I can bring hope and I can bring, I meant to say light, just then light. And I can bring hope and I can bring peace. And in the heart of what we're trying to do is trying to just find peace in, in whatever spaces we can. And I suppose there's there's that quite deeply, but in, in, a, in a more tangible sense, it's the human animal bond and, and helping the world to understand the power that's in that, the beauty that's in that, uh, and understand helping people to understand that we don't have to be separated from the thing that we love in a hierarchy. You know, we often have this talk about, you know, I used to think that there was this attitude that we'll look after animals when all the when all the important work is done. You know, there's sort of like a, a, a secondary a secondary concern, and that's very that's very systemic, very deeply entrenched in in our in our in our legal systems, in our in our culture. You know that that animal law is the only um, part of the law that is administered and, and, and prosecuted and pursued by a charity. Mm. You know, that, that relies on donations, whereas the rest of the law as a police force and and has a, a is fully supported. But animal or animal law, that's just kind of a a nice to have on a Sunday kind of kind of you know secondary concern. And, and, and I think that we love our animals. You know, everyone I speak to has an animal story, and if they don't love animals themselves, they've got a daughter or a friend or a neighbour. I am obsessed with my dog. My <laughs> dog, I I hands down love my dog more than I love most humans. And most animal people will, will, will say that or, or will, will confess that it's so common. So, you know, we, we can talk about that. We can bring that into the light. You know, we say so almost flippantly animals are part of the family. So let's let's talk about animals as part of the family. Let's talk about it when the family goes wrong. Mm. Let's talk about it when families are changing. Let's talk about what happens when there's not enough rental accommodation that's pet friendly. So I suppose what drives me is, is helping people to understand why animals matter, not just in terms of animals themselves, but in terms of us and the indivisibility of that line between human and animal. It's just life. It's just us. It's just all around us. And if we were able to start to see those connections, you know, there's some depth there, isn't there? There's, there's, yeah. there's just there's so much to that. There's so much that we could understand through that. And there's been so many, you know, there have been so many times where it has been proven that, you know, you take a dog into an old people's home, you know, or, you know, you, yeah. you bring yeah. therapy animals into hospitals. Exactly. So it's not like this is new. No, <laughs> you know, we have, no, we have no, had no, these, no. these relationships with these animals for, for since the beginning of time because we are fundamentally biologically animal. And so, you know, I, I, I completely agree with you. Why are they secondary in the way that we... Yeah look at ourselves socially and, and I spoke about that that richness that's there if we were to understand that and if anyone's interested in, in looking into this more deeply we ran a webinar quite recently about a month ago on court dogs and the court dogs uh support animals that go to court often with a child or with a with a victim of abuse to give their testimony in court and, and one of the one of the things that really inspired us to um to host that webinar was a comment from a child who who was a survivor of, of sexual assault and she had to testify against her father in court and she's and afterwards when reflecting on on giving that testimony very confronting thing for a child to have to do afterwards the thing the first memory she had of the testimony was that the dog uh licked her and and played with her and tried i think said tried to drink out of the sink no. uh, and how funny it was and for a child to look back on one of the most traumatic memories of their life and find joy 
was powerful. Mm. And so and so we asked this, we asked um, we asked the court dogs to, to I'm having a mental blank at the moment what her name was, which is very appalling of me, but to, you'll have a look on that webinar. And um, she she was saying that these dogs that are going into court are actually reducing the amount of time that it takes to for for the for the hearing and for for the court case to run which is a massive cost saving yes. which is a massive reduction in trauma which is a massive reduction in red tape which frees up the court system i mean understanding animals mm. has so many benefits in every sense for us but we need to just take it seriously we need to really look at these issues and to not trivialize them yeah because... it's not the cute thing oh look you've got a cute puppy that's cute like it actually right. means something yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's, there's such a wealth there for humanity if we were to take animals seriously. Yeah. Oh, oh, so powerful. Okay, so who else should I speak to on this podcast, Anna? Who can you recommend that I approach to come on and have their it's, story and voice shared? It's it's so it's 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 so hard to choose one person because I have so many heroes, oh. uh, so many people that I that I admire and I and I love to hear from um but if you were going to be talking about um this issue further i suppose i'm a huge fan of jennifer howard who runs an organization called safe pets safe families in south australia um she's one of my absolute heroes and and one of the many things i love about her is i love her leadership style she's not the the big brash boastful ego driven leader that we were talking about before she's just a person that has a an insatiable passion and, and voice for animals and the kind of change that she's created in south australia just blows my mind i would like to be a quarter of the leader that that she is um and to have brought some of the, the issues you know when we're talking about intersections between um animal abuse and homelessness and and the need to protect animals and homelessness and 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 the elderly and um and and the, and and how vets can help people as well as in domestic violence and mental illness and all the many different things that she's tackled head on and brought together some really powerful allies to help her in south australia i'd, I'd love to see her project repeated right throughout the country i'm a huge believer in, in not just the work that she's done but the person that she is she's an absolute an absolute inspiration oh as um, are you anna can i just say like you know this has been such an eye-opening moving um and really galvanizing conversation oh thank you thank you just wait till you meet jen that's that, that's very <laughs> that's 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 very kind of you um it's been fantastic to have the opportunity to to speak about it it, it is something that i love uh, you know i as you know I, I responded very quickly to your request because i do love the opportunity to to raise awareness and to talk like this um and to be able to encourage other people to get out and speak their truth as well mm. and how can people support how can people get behind you how can people access that webinar that you were talking about Oh, okay. So accessing the webinars is pretty straightforward. Um, so if you go to our website, which is lucysproject.com.au, um, the webinars are there under a link. There's a whole bunch of different resources there, including some really interesting stuff as well about what I was talking about with concurrent criminality, about where uh, crimes are happening at the same place as um, animal abuse, which is really interesting. There's a whole bunch of different webinars there on a whole bunch of different topics uh, that might be of interest to, um, to your listeners. Um, and those are free access, open resource, but we, we do request a donation if people are able to. But am I allowed to be really cheeky? Um, of course, please, be and, as cheeky as you want to be, Anna. 
We're, we're in a really, really, really difficult position at the moment. Um, we're trying to stay open for the next six months while we're going undergoing a massive um, restructure, actually, and, and trying to step up to the next level of our business at the same time that... Um, at the same time that we are um, in between grants and grant cycles, really big projects coming up next year, just finished really big projects, but we've been so busy working that we've had a really big, uh, we've sort of had this six months where we're really struggling to keep the doors open. So we've got a, a GoFundMe campaign at yes. the moment, this project GoFundMe campaign, where we're trying to raise $20,000 to keep us operating. So that's our operating cost for six months. If that gives you any indication of just how little we work with and how much we're able to do with very, very little money. I mean, you see reports that are commissioned for, for 10 times that, you know, like when we're running an entire organisation with, with, with very little and we're really appealing to the public at the moment um, to give what they can, if that's $5 or $10 or $100 or $1,000 or $10,000. $20,000, go on. Yeah, <laughs> whatever, whatever you've got, every little piece, yeah, every little really bit helps. of change, um, would, would really, really help us just to get through this next six months um, as we're trying to and we're trying to make some really big changes and step into a much larger, much broader organisation next year to, to reach the demand because we fundamentally believe that we need to keep existing because nobody should have to choose between their safety and the lives of their animals. Mm. And that is actually what happens if somebody doesn't have somewhere safe to take their animals, they can be trapped in the cycle of violence because they won't leave that animal behind to suffer because the thought of doing that is enough to keep them suffering themselves. And I don't believe that's a choice that anybody should ever have to face. So we believe that our work is really important and we want to keep doing it, but we really need the community's help right now uh, to make this money to get through this crisis. So that's my cheeky little outreach. Absolutely. Um, we'll be popping the GoFundMe link into the show notes. I'll be sharing it onto my Instagram profile and I'll also short, uh, share your Instagram social media handles and the link to your website in the show notes. Anna, you have been such a delightful guest. Thank you so much. Your passion shines through. Your leadership style is such an, an inspirational one. I think we can all learn so much from that. Oh, thank you. It's just been so enjoyable to speak with you today. Thank you so much for inviting me. You're welcome. Thank you, Anna. Thank you. Huge thanks to Anna for jumping on today and having that conversation with me. Get behind Lucy's project, guys. You can go to the show notes for all of the links that you will need, including the link to the GoFundMe page. Now, if you're a member of Behind the Scenes, then you can listen to a mini cast that Anna and I have just recorded all about how you can support people in your community or loved ones, family members, friends who you suspect may be a victim of domestic and family violence it's only a short episode but it's really powerful full of some really great advice so if you're a member of behind the scenes you will have access to that mini cast now if you'd like to know more about joining behind the scenes what you get for your seven bucks a month um, then head to the link in the show notes and thank you all very much for listening